Thank you for listening to this message from Flow Church, a brand new church plant in the city of Melbourne, Australia. We pray that this word will help you experience and express the goodness of God in every sphere and season of life. Oh, it's a real privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Pastor Sam, thank you for this opportunity. I don't know where to stand. Um, I don't do this very often, so please bear with me. I don't, yeah, I don't speak very often. Uh, the last time I spoke was a couple of years ago, um, so I'm sure I'll kind of stuff some things up. Uh, if I'm speaking too fast, if you give me one of these, uh, that would be really helpful. But the good news is I have been given 30 minutes to speak. Uh, the last time I timed this, I only took 25, 20 minutes to speak. So uh, I should be finishing a little early. Uh, Cheryl has been made aware that I'll be finishing early, which means we'll all get to lunch early. Um, and I don't care how holy you might think you are. Everyone likes it when church finishes early. Um, so just to kind of start, I uh, just wanted to ask the audience, just by a show of hands, is there anyone here who would either consider themselves a nerd or has engaged in some kind of like nerdy subculture, like Star Wars or like Harry Potter or Warhammer 40K, any, anything like that, like if you just put your hand up. Oh, wow, a lot. Okay, uh, Gary, what, what are you nerd out about? Hey, that's some of the nerdiest stuff. Uh, for those online, Gary, Gary's into MTG. That's, that's, that's high level nerd stuff right there. Uh, that's great, I love that. Um, so the, the reason why I bring this up, I just wanted to share a little bit about my experience uh, in a deep and nerd subculture. So about 10 years ago or so, I was super heavily invested in uh, competitive online Pokemon battles. Um, so this was like Pokemon X and Y, sixth generation of Pokemon on the Nintendo 3DS. Um, if you don't know what Pokemon is, shame on you. Uh, but it's like it's a, it's a video game where you kind of collect six little monsters they have different skills and abilities, and you go on and battle other people's teams of monsters, and in the game you become the world champion. Um, my mom was, a, was one of those conservative 90s moms that thought that everything was demonic. Uh, so I didn't really get to play much Pokemon uh, as a kid, but then when I got into uni, uh, I, I played Pokemon X and Y in my 20s as like a, an act of meaningless defiance to my upbringing. Um, but I just wanted to take you through kind of a summary of what it takes to build uh, a team of six Pokemon for competitive online gaming. Because um, I'm going to use a lot of technical language. I just want to show you and illustrate how deep the rabbit hole goes uh, with this particular thing. So firstly, you got to decide what kind of team do you want to make? Um, the first, the sort of standard three are hyper-offensive, balanced, and stalls. But then you have specific things like weather teams, which is rain, sun, uh, Snow, uh, hail and sand, and then you also have trick room teams. Trick room teams aren't very viable in today's meta, but they do exist. And then uh, once you've decided what team, you have to kind of decide which Pokemon are going to be in your team, because different Pokemon are able to fulfill different roles. Um, and I'm going to take you through some of the roles. There are, there, are, there are lots of them. So you have physical and special sweepers. These are often set up by bat and passers. Uh, entry hazard setups are countered generally by rapid spinners. Rapid spinners are countered by spin blockers. Then you have physical and special walls. They're countered by wall breakers, but you cannot confuse them with stalls because they're different. Stalls are countered by stall breakers. And these are all different roles. There's, there's heaps more. They're like revenge killers and double dance and 
uh, Bolt Beam. There's, there's a bunch of them. I think there's probably at least 50 to 100 different roles um, a Pokemon could have. So you've decided on the team, you've decided on the, the Pokemon and, and its role, and then you obviously have to go and catch it. But it's not good enough to just catch it. You've got to breed it like over and over and over again to get maximum IVs and the right nature because different Pokemon have different personalities and different personalities tend to different traits and therefore you need to have the right nature and you have to have maximum IVs. IVs in this case stands for um, individual values. Once you have that, you've got to train it for maximum EVs. Uh, EVs in this case stands for effort values. Not to be confused with a Pokemon that's called Eevee. Uh, so you repeat this process five more times, and then you have your Pokemon team ready to battle. Um, and the reason I kind of bring this up today is that, as you can tell, I have I was very deep in this in this world, and um, I learned something very specific about nerds um, through this experience. That um, yeah, it was quite enlightening. But there is one thing that a nerd loves almost more than anything else in the world. One thing that brings them pleasure, more pleasure than almost anything in the world, and that is the opportunity to correct another nerd, right? <laughs> and it's often, you know, very smug, it uh, starts with a very smug and passive and condescending words, um, actually, right? <laughs> and so I, I raise this to you today because in a way, this has kind of become an accusation against Christians that we are these smug and arrogant nerds who claim to have exclusive knowledge of the truth, exclusive knowledge of what is correct, what is right, and what is true. And I had a colleague a long time ago um, who thought the way that I lived my life as a Christian, um, especially in regards to like sexual ethics and abstinence before marriage, she thought it was kind of fascinating and I had many conversations with her about it. And one particular day she asked me, well, you know, what about our colleague, I'll, I'll leave him nameless, but one of our colleagues had a particularly promiscuous lifestyle. Uh, he's very open about it. And so she's like, well, what do you think about the way he lives? And I said, well, I don't think promiscuity is a great way to live. I, I think he's probably causing more harm to himself and other people than he realizes. I don't think it's good for the, the mind or body or soul. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live that way. And, and kind of a funny expression came over her face. And she said, well, I think it's arrogant that you would say that the way someone else lives is wrong. And so I kind of want to address this accusation today. Um, I've broken it down in three parts. Um, isn't it arrogant that Christians claim that they have the only way to God? So the three parts are this. One, all religions are the same. They all teach us how to be kind and love others and be good. Two, it's arrogant to claim that Christianity is the only way to God. And three, it's arrogant to force your beliefs onto another person. Does that sound good? Yep, cool. So, because I should pray or something, that's probably a good thing to do. Um, yeah, let's let's pray. Um, dear Lord, as I so we go through this uh, presentation today, I just pray that you would open our ears and our hearts um, to know you and understand uh, your love a little bit deeper today, um, especially. Um, as it pertains to how much you love and care for the lost. I pray that you bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew, all right. So, claim number one. All religions are the same. Oh, that's the wrong, that's the wrong keyboard. Um, so, in order to kind of illustrate this, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Aaron. I, you can't really read that, but his name's Aaron. Um, so, Aaron was born in Melbourne, um, but he did high school and uni 
in Queensland, in Brisbane. And then soon after uni, he moved to the US and he was working there for quite some time. Um, and he met and married an American woman while he was there. Um, but recently he moved to Manchester in the UK. And the thing about Aaron is that he would describe himself as a massive football fan. And if mm, and so if if you're a sports fan, you might be looking at this and thinking, hang on, which football is Aaron a fan of, right? Because in Melbourne, of course, we refer to footy, we, we call it the Aussie rules or the AFL. Um, in Queensland, football is uh, rugby league, I believe. I actually, I don't know the difference between league and union, um, but it's rugby. I think it's rugby league. And then, of course, in the US, uh, football is American football or, or gridiron, as we know it here. Um, and then in the UK, um, and most of your actually most of the world, football is soccer. <laughs> um, any fans of any of these sports in the room? Who thinks that Aaron is a fan of Aussie rules? Who thinks rugby? Who thinks American football? Oh, okay. And and most of you didn't. Uh, who thinks soccer? Oh, okay. So for the sports fans in the room, if I were to say to you, you know. I've been thinking about it, and I reckon all football is the same. You know, it's all like it all involves a ball and a team and like people in strappy outfits blowing whistles when people break the rules. Um, and the goal is to win. And it's it, teamwork is really important. Really, all football is the same. Anyone has anyone feel about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think. <laughs> I think you'd be really hard pressed to find anyone, any serious sports fan, who would respond to that claim with, oh, what a wonderfully astute and wise observation you've made. How accepting you are of all football fans to think that all football is the same. No, I think, you know, anyone who, who watches any football would be like, what, what on earth are you, are you talking about? You obviously don't know anything about any of these sports, because if you did, you would know how fundamentally different they are. Like the ball, is not even the same shape across all of these sports. And, and it's the same with religions. For, for me to claim that all religions are the same generally suggests that I haven't really done or taken my time or done my research, because if I did, I would see that they are indeed fundamentally different, especially in the way that each of them claim is the way to God and even the nature of God. Um, there's also this very famous parable about uh, six blind men who are tasked with trying to identify um, what an elephant is. This is not a, a Bible parable, by the way. I think it's a, I think it's a Hindu parable. Um, but it's six blind men who are trying to figure out what an elephant is. And of course, an elephant is a massive monumental creature. Um, but so they're all kind of by touch trying to figure out what, what an elephant is like. So one man is touching its tail and saying, oh, I think an elephant is like a rope. And one's touching its side saying like, oh, it feels more like a leathery wall to me. Um, another one touches its ear and says it's like a giant leaf. Another one is holding its leg. It's like, oh, no, an elephant is a tree. One's touching its tusk and saying, oh, no, an elephant's like a spear. Um, and the, the last one's kind of touching its trunk and saying, no, I'm pretty sure an elephant is a kind of snake. And the illustration is, is essentially trying to show that, you know, the elephant is meant to represent God. God is this huge, incomprehensible being, and we're all accessing um, different parts of God that we all may think are contradictory to each other. But it's just because God is so big that we, we think that way 
um, really we're all touching and we're all experiencing the same God, which sounds really nice and sounds really inclusive until you realize there's actually a seventh character uh, in this story um, besides the six blind men. The seventh character is the person telling the story because the person telling the story is essentially saying, all of you people with your different ideas of God, you can't see God, you're all blind. But I can see God, God is like an elephant, and you're all touching different parts of him. In fact, I am the only one that can see the full picture of God clearly. I am the only one who can see the whole elephant, and that's how I can tell you that all religions are the same. And so the claim that all religions are the same you know, really, there's, there's only kind of two places it can come from. One is ignorance. If you haven't done your research to understand um, how different, different religions are, or of, of really of arrogance. I think it's possibly the most arrogant position um, that you can take, because not all religions are the same at all. So that's claim number one. Uh, claim number two oop, is it's arrogant to claim that you have the only way to God. This is a really interesting one um, because my, my response usually to this is, so what? Uh, so what if it's arrogant to claim that you have the only way to God, which I recognize the deep irony of because it's a very arrogant way to respond <laughs> to such a claim. Um, well, I'll try to illustrate this. Um, who, what, does anyone know what's for lunch today? Do you know what's for lunch today? Sakali so just said enchiladas, chicken, wings, and chips, and, and, and broccoli? <laughs> okay. So as, as you just heard, you know, someone just answered my question, did so in a, Carly just answered my question, did so in a very um, normal and generous way. Um, of course, she could have answered my question with, Don, what a stupid question. You were in the kitchen before, you should have seen what was for lunch. Um, it's obviously chicken and, and enchiladas and cauliflower. Like, you, 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 sir, must have an IQ that is equal to your shoe size. <laughs> and, of course, Kali would never say that because she's a very nice person and also no one actually speaks like that. But that would be a very rude and offensive and arrogant way to respond to my question. Now, if I were to say to Kali in, in response to that, you know what, Kali, because you answered me so arrogantly, I reject the notion that that's what we're having for lunch. Instead, I'm going to choose that, to believe that we are having cake for lunch. Uh, and I, I'm going to hold to that because, because of the way you responded, because of the arrogant way you responded, I'm going to believe that we're having cake. And when I head out to the foyer later to have lunch, uh, we're not going to be having cake. We're, we're going to be having the stuff that Cheryl brought <laughs> for lunch because, and I will have been wrong, because arrogance has no bearing on whether or not something is true. Arrogance has no bearing at all on whether or not something is true. In fact, the only reason you should believe in something is because it's true, not because it's not arrogant or, or anything like that. Um, and so you can communicate something that is true arrogantly or not arrogantly. It doesn't make a difference on whether or not it's true. And this is something in philosophy, in philosophy, I guess in just general debate and argumentation. It's called the ad hominem fallacy. Um, just to take you through a little bit of critical thinking, um, ad hominem fallacy essentially goes, person A makes claim X, person B attacks person A, and therefore 
X is incorrect, um, which is logically false. That doesn't really make any sense that way. You'll see this a lot, though, um, in argumentation in politics and on the news and stuff. Um, well, you only say that because you're a Christian, but it doesn't really change whether or not the claim is true. So, does this mean then we should arrogantly be going around Bible bashing people, condemning them, being really arrogant to our neighbors? Obviously not. That is not an effective way to do pretty much anything. Um, but fortunately, uh, the Bible does have something to say about arrogance, and fortunately comes from Jesus too. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to, I'll uh, have it up on the screen in a sec. Um, but Luke 18, uh, verses 9 to 14, I believe. Um, and this is a parable, um, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, that special special category of sinners that, um, can we read that? Is that clear? Um, I'll read it out if you can't see it. It does look a little bit fuzzy up there. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Well, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> You know, so it's, it's very clear here that Jesus taught that by humbling himself, the tax collector was made right with God. That being a Christian is not about being more moral uh, than other people or being more correct than other people so that we can feel superior to them, um, just as the Pharisee did. And rather to be a follower of Christ and to be right with God, we need to humble ourselves and recognize our weaknesses, recognize our brokenness, and ask for forgiveness, just as the tax collector does. And once we do that, he's able to bring goodness and wholeness and restoration to our lives that I'm sure many of us in this room have experienced. But time and time again, as you read through the New Testament, I won't have time to go through all of the examples, um, Jesus continually condemned the moral superiority of the religious leaders and uh, yeah, the Pharisees at the time. And although we are able to take pride in, in serving our Lord, in serving Christ, in, in being Christians, the Bible is very clear that we should not and cannot be arrogant. It's not a representation of what Christ wanted us to be. In fact, uh, Christianity and, and following Christ, as, I think as a probably a cardinal rule, it is an inherently humbling process, um, as I'm sure we all have experienced. Um, to claim, claim three, my slides work. I know there are some arrogant Christians out there. Um, I'm sure we've all encountered some, perhaps even been hurt by some. I'm sure I have been one uh, at some stage in the past, uh, especially in my, in my early and mid twenties. Um, I do want to apologize to anyone who has experienced, uh, an arrogant Christian and has been hurt by them. I, I think, you know, it, it we are all fallible and 
yeah, it, it's not it's not the message that Jesus was trying to communicate. But we do make mistakes, and if you have been affected by uh, an arrogant Christian, I, I do apologize. Um, but I do want to address the claim that it's arrogant to force your views um, onto another person. Actually, lucky you can probably start coming up. So, uh, is anyone familiar with Penn and Teller, the Las Vegas? Yeah, magician too. So once, yeah, incidentally, magic magicians, another thing my mom thought was demonic. Um, so Penn and Teller are the, I think they have the longest uh, running show on the Las Vegas Strip. There are two very famous uh, magicians and not, not you know, sleight of hand kind of stuff, uh, card trick, pick a card kind of thing. Um, both of them, Penn and Teller, are very vocal and vociferous atheists. They're very anti-religion. Um, and I learned a long time ago, it's always nice to be able to get an atheist to prove your point. So um, this is, I just want to share kind of a quote from, from Penn Jillette. Um, I'll read it out as well because it is a bit fuzzy. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it will make things socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is impossible? Sorry, everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, at a, there's a certain point where I tackle you, and this is much more important than that. And so as we kind of head into next month, as, we, as we're doing Alpha, um, I, I just want to encourage everyone, we don't share the Christian faith because we're just arrogant nerds who want to correct everyone and be, be correct. We, we share the gospel because it's good news, because we want other people to be able to experience the love and goodness that comes in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We share it because we, we believe and we hold that Jesus died to rescue us from our sin, from our brokenness, and that, that, we, that other people can have eternal life. We share the joy that we have in our lives with others. It is not an act of arrogance. In fact, it is a profound act of love to share your faith with another person. And so, you know, I know it can be intimidating and it can be awkward to try and share um, your beliefs with other people, but I, I do hope that you can be reminded that it is an, a loving act to do so. And so, yeah, as, as we head into, into August, when we start, I really want to encourage everyone to be thinking about and praying about who um, they can invite to Alpha. I, I, you know, please do set some time aside and, and yeah, just really have a think about it. Um, it is an amazing opportunity and experience to be able to invite someone um, to experience the love of Christ. Uh, yeah, that's it. I'll just uh, I'll close us in prayer. And that's, uh, that's it for me. Yeah, Lord, I just pray that you would give us a spirit of boldness this week as we think about and pray over who we can invite, um, who we can ask, who we can give an opportunity um, to experience your love. Um, I pray that your spirit would go before us and prepare the hearts of the people who um, yeah, who would come to Alpha? You already know, Lord, who who are coming to Alpha. Who is coming to Alpha next month? I pray that you would prepare their hearts, and that the people who come will have the opportunity to have to have their lives profoundly transformed um, by your love. Uh, I 
pray that you just bless us all today um, and just give us a greater sense of your love um, for the lost, but also your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.